0: Father, we, we thank you so much for your precious and holy word and, and the privilege you've given us to sing our praises to you this morning. The Scripture says, But it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And Lord, we can only imagine, we can can only imagine the things that, that lie ahead. And, You've given us such great and precious promises in your word, and we hold on to those. But we also realize that that right now we see through glass darkly. We don't see things in the fullness that you would have, but Lord, we so look forward to that day when we will see you as you are. We will see you face to face. And I'm not sure how this, this man will respond other than to bow before you and whatever it is that... Lord, you're going to have me do and have us do. Lord, we look forward to that. We look forward to praising you for all of eternity, for you are the worthy lamb, the lamb of God who came to take away our sin. We love you, God, and we praise you. Speak to us through your word. Encourage us. Help us to just focus in on you, the plans that you have for us, because they're all good plans. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. 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 Good morning, family. What a day. And I say that because it's a day that the Lord has made. I'm rejoicing, I'm glad, I'm thankful. And I count it a privilege to be part of this day that God has given us. Family, if you'd open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. This morning we're going to be studying verses 23 through 30. And today's message is entitled... God's plan, and we know that he has a plan for each of our lives, don't we? And understand that it's a good plan. God only does good because he is good. But our plans that that, that God has for us include preparation. This is what we're going to be talking about, especially as we consider the life of the Apostle Paul. Last time as we studied verses 19 through 22, We started to look at the history of Paul after he came to Christ. And what we saw is he immediately went into the synagogue and he preached Christ, and he addressed the matters head-on that were problematic with the Jewish people, and he understood them well, being a Pharisee. The first item of, of conflict was that Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son, And second, that Jesus is the Messiah. And then we looked at how God had sent him to the desert, desert of Arabia, for three years to learn the gospel of grace. And he was taught personally. What a precious thing this is taught personally by God's Holy Spirit. And we spent some time in the book of Galatians in order to understand what God was preparing in him the gospel of grace. How precious is the gospel of grace and so incredibly beautiful. And we understand this. We understand that it's by grace that we are saved through faith. And it's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. But you know, there are some people that do argue against salvation by grace through faith. Claiming that Jesus himself never spoke those words and it was a concept of Paul. But remember this. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it says that all Scripture, that doesn't leave any room for anything else, does it? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And not only that, you know, in John 3, verse 16, it says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever keeps the law of Moses. No, no, it doesn't say that. No, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in John chapter 5, verse 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Paul the Apostle, in his letter to the Roman church in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, he said this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. He says the whole world is guilty before God. That means that there are no exceptions. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And the problem is that many attempted to use the law as a means of proving their own righteousness. The religious leaders, the religious teachers of that day said that a man could actually keep the law by outward observance. That's the problem the Pharisees had. They taught and they believed that they could be righteous before God by keeping the law. But Paul, the apostle, learned differently, didn't he? When the Holy Spirit of God entered into his heart. Well, to make matters worse, they added over 600 or so statutes to the law called the Mishnah that they said those things have to be kept. They took the law of Moses and said, well, that's not quite enough. We need to add all these other things in. And by the way, you've got to keep those as well. We know that it's impossible to keep them. And, and here's why. Because the law really never did consider the matters of our heart. Outward for sure. But how about our thoughts? How about our emotions? How about our, emo, our motives? How about our attitudes? The law is hard. But grace is wonderful. Wonderful and grace and truth minister to us as the way that only Jesus can. And Jesus, he, he talked about this on, in the Sermon on the Mount, that the law actually does concern both the external and the internal. And really, what, it's what takes place in the heart that is really important to God. Yes, and what happens on the outside ought to be a reflection of what takes place right in here, right? And here's what Jesus said in Matthew five twenty. He said, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, can you imagine being a Pharisee, being a scribe, being a religious leader, and those folks are standing over here and Jesus is preaching, and he says, By the way, your righteousness must exceed theirs? Can you imagine the horror in their minds? And they, they might think, Well, how is this possible? Those guys, they're so holy. I can't measure up to their standard, much less exceed it. But what Jesus was saying, he says, you think the Pharisees are perfect, but they're not. They only appear to be. So in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be more perfect than you think they are. And of course, he's alluding to the fact that there is only one way to be righteous, and that is through Jesus Christ. James said this in James 2, verse 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, in only one, he says, you're guilty of all. You might as well have broken them all because one offense is an offense against God and disqualifies us from heaven. One point. Let me give you an example. Have, Have any of you ever made a New Year's resolution? Ever? How many of them have you kept? <laughs> yeah, Anybody ever keep one? Well, that's not, it's not an offense against God, but the point is this. You can try all you want to keep the law, but it's impossible, especially when you and I consider what takes place in your heart. And the Bible describes our heart like this. It's deceitful and desperately wicked. And he says, who can know it? You, you may not see my deceitful and wicked heart. <coughs> Maybe you can, because <laughs> it's there. <laughs> but you know, God knows for sure. He sees it for sure. So everyone is guilty. The Bible says that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, there might be those that, that want to argue about their ability to keep the law, and I've heard people say this before. Paul said those that think that, that they can be righteous according to the law, he said their mouths may be stopped. We just read that in Romans chapter 3. You know, things like this. You know, I, I declare I'm righteous in the, in, the, in the face of the law. But then, of course, there's always these little, little exceptions like, but I, okay, however, I, uh, I did this, and then it becomes like, I, 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 it it becomes all about you. You know, think about the next time you try to justify your actions before God and he would do this. All mouths are stopped before him. We need to take the I out of the equation. It's not about what I did. It's not about what I can do. It's not about what I will do. It's about what Jesus Christ did on Mount Calvary in order to save my soul. So there's no point in speaking if I'm going to defend myself because Paul said all mouths are stopped because we're all guilty. So clearly we, we understand, I pray we understand, that all of us are saved by grace through faith. Now, when Paul the Apostle went to the desert of Arabia, I'm sure for these three years, that he poured his heart out. He poured over the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures through the lens of grace like he never understood before. He saw that there's grace. It's not the hardness of the law. He saw something different. And before, previously, he never understood that the prophets, when they were speaking, they spoke of Jesus and how the Scriptures pointed to Jesus. But let me say this, if you miss Jesus in the Bible, then you miss the whole Bible, because it says in the volume of the book, Jesus said, it is written of me. The entire volume. So here's Paul. He's out in the desert of Arabia. No distractions. He's reading the Scriptures over and over and over again over the course of three years. And the Holy Spirit, praise God, can you imagine these Bible studies? The Holy Spirit of God taught him taught him and taught him some more like never ever before it was paul it was paul in the scriptures in the holy spirit the three of them for three short years i'm sure and imagine paul's excitement as as god revealed more of himself to him and it is exciting isn't it you know remember your own experience before you knew the lord i mean the scriptures, well, it, it, there's a lot of black ink on white pages and there's some red mixed in, but you know, it really didn't mean a lot, did it? But then when you came to Christ and the Holy Spirit entered your heart, all of a sudden something happened and you began to love the word of God because Jesus is the word made flesh that dwelt among us and the word speaks of him, the word is him, and we, became to fall, we came to fall more in love with Jesus Christ. Well, after Paul's three years in the desert of Arabia, he went back to Damascus. And here's what it says. We're going to pick up in verse 23. It's in Acts chapter 9. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying in wait was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. Well, clearly, Paul's preaching ministry was not very well received, was it? In the Jewish people, they were offended by this gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, maybe you can think of your attitude toward the gospel of grace when someone shared with you before you came to Christ. Were you offended? I was. Were you angry? I was. Did you fight against it? I did. And I realized that the reason that I was offended, the reason I was angry, the reason that I fought against this was because it not only challenged my religion, but it also began to unravel it. And I'm thankful that it did but it brought into question something very dear to me. That's me. I was too dear to myself to let go of my own religion because it was about me, my beliefs, my goodness, my self-righteousness, my ritual, my system of beliefs. My, 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 my. We had I, 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 I now. My, 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 my. What's going on? We need the gospel of grace. And one by one, God began to knock them down until I realized that it cannot be about me because I'm not responsible for my salvation. Jesus is. And he offered me forgiveness that would put away my sin forever. And how freeing that was to me, and I'm sure it was to you. How liberating. That truth written upon your heart to know that my salvation, our salvation, your salvation was in spite of us not because of us, isn't that wonderful? What a release. In the section of Acts chapter 9, as Paul began to minister to the Jewish people, their response, "Kill him. Assassinate him." And this would be just the start of many attempts on his life. It was the beginning of his suffering from Christ, or for Christ. And what we see here, there were those that set up an ambush for him. Day and night, they're watching for him. They wanted to murder him. They plotted to kill him. And they waited for the right opportunity to put him to death. Having rejected their own Messiah, they now reject the man whose aim was to awaken them to their responsibility for the truth that they've already heard regarding the Messiah. They wanted to shoot the messenger, so to speak. And we see here that, that Paul learned of this plan to kill him. And at night, he was let down over a wall, lowering him in a basket in order to escape. And it was the Christians that were looking out for him, other disciples. But you know, it, it seems that I, mean, I can't sense from the scripture that there was any panic here on Paul's part. It doesn't even seem that he's worried. He doesn't seem desperate, knowing that there is a plan to murder him. Well, how could he have such peace? Well, I believe here's how. He trusted in the promises of God. And listen, when we trust, when you and I trust in the promises of God, we can have his peace, that he's got us. He holds us in the palm of his hand, and he's got a plan for us. I remember a couple of weeks ago in the encounter with Ananias that we studied, Ananias, remember, was afraid of him because Saul's reputation preceded him. And the Lord said this in verse 14 and 15, And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. There's God's plan. He would bear the name of Jesus before the Gentiles, before the kings and the children of Israel. That was God's plan, and it was God's promise. And with that plan and promise, it has not yet been completed. So I'm sure Paul's thinking, well, God promised that. I'm going to testify before Gentiles, before kings, and before Jews. That hasn't happened yet, so I'm going to be okay. He trusted in that. He had nothing to fear. He might suffer, but he wouldn't be killed. Verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, I'm just going to pause there for a second. From the basket in Damascus to Jerusalem, Now think about this. Paul, he returns to Jerusalem, and of course Jerusalem was the place from which he was dispatched to go to Damascus to arrest Christians, to bring them back to be tried and to be imprisoned there in Jerusalem. And here he's back. And I'm sure that those he met up with, they they heard of his conversion, but they hadn't seen him. After this three-year absence, Paul returns there, and here's what we find in verse 26 through verse 29. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming and going out of Jerusalem And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went out to slay him. So there he is in Jerusalem. Paul tried to join in fellowship with other Christians. They were afraid of him. They they didn't believe that he was born again. How can this guy be changed? And maybe somebody said that about you too. I can't really believe that he's different than he was or she's different than she was especially after not seeing you for a while. And this is what happened with with Paul. They suspected, well, I think maybe he's undercover now. Maybe there's some kind of plot uh, against us because they didn't yet trust in him. And once again, they thought he was there to haul them off into prison. And it's easy to criticize the disciples, isn't it? We can say, well, couldn't they tell? Wouldn't they know? Well, people can be deceptive, Right. But understand, those that have been persecuted are very, very careful with whom they trust and who they don't trust. And clearly, they didn't trust this man they knew as Saul of Tarsus. Well, was Paul offended? No, he didn't huff out of there and say, I'm done with you guys. No, 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 no. He understood their fears, and also he understood that it would be a matter of time before he gained their confidence. And what we see here is this man named Barnabas whose name means son of consolation. And he, he gets his arm around, around Paul. We found him first in Acts chapter 4. He befriended Paul here. He listened to him. And I'm sure it was like, hey, Paul, you know, you, you've got this reputation. I've heard about you. What's your story? The last I heard is you were out to arrest people like us. And now you're telling us that you're different. Well, Paul tells Barnabas about his conversion. And then Barnabas Barnabas brought Paul to the disciples and told them that Paul had seen the Lord on his way to Damascus. And the Lord spoke to him and he was saved. And from there, how Paul had spoken boldly for the Lord in the city of Damascus that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God who was raised from the dead. And I'm sure Paul told them of his escape from the would-be assassins in Damascus. Now, As a result, Paul was welcomed into that community where they went all around Jerusalem, and it says they preached boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, even to the Grecian Jews who are the Hellenists. We talked about those several months ago. But these Grecian Jews, they didn't like what Paul had to say. So they too, they set out to kill him. And when the brethren in Jerusalem found this out, they sent Paul to Caesarea, Oh, by the way, Caesarea is an absolutely beautiful place right on the Mediterranean Sea. When we were in Israel in 2017, one of the first stops, Caesarea by the sea, and it's like you look out. The Mediterranean is absolutely breathtaking. But that's where they sent him, maybe on a vacation, I don't know. (laughs) Could probably have used one back then. But no, Paul did a lot of ministry in Caesarea. And then they sent him to Tarsus, which is his hometown, which is modern-day Turkey. And we learn that he spent somewhere around 10 years there in Tarsus. It's not mentioned here, but history records say that that's where he went. And there is no mention of Paul during that time of what he was doing. The Bible was silent about that. In fact, his name won't come up again until Acts chapter 11, when Barnabas went to see Saul or Paul in Tarsus and he brought him to a church in Antioch where Paul's life and ministry and ministry as an apostle they began. And from then on, and when we get to Acts chapter 11 on, you're going to see that the book of Acts is dominated by Paul's life. But all of this I find very, very fascinating. It's fascinating to me that, that God allowed 10 long years to elapse from the time that Saul was born again to the time that his formal ministry began, his public ministry. There was a period in Paul's life that was quiet, seemingly had no impact on the church. Silence as he lived in Tarsus. And one would think that with all this persecution that was taking place in the early church, that God wouldn't waste a single moment activating Paul's ministry and bring him right into the middle of it all because there was a need for him as an apostle. Yes, Jesus called him a chosen vessel, but God knew that he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready, so Jesus prepared him for this work. Well, you know, family, this teaches us that that chosen vessels must be Prepared. And God is preparing you. He is preparing me. He is preparing us for what? His purpose is to be accomplished in your life. We're all different. We live in a culture that undervalues preparation. And we undervalue it in such a way to a degree that it's dangerous. We do live in an impatient culture, very hurried. We want what we want, and we want it when? Now, if not earlier. Sometimes I'm thinking, you know, I've been sitting at this red light for 30 seconds now. There is not a single car coming from that way or from that way. Something must be wrong with the sensors. Did you ever do that? Then, then, of course, there's, there's that impatient driver that's on your rear bumper. That happens to me a lot. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they see a break in the oncoming traffic and they hit the gas and swerve right out in front of you, right? And from there, that driver sits as, an immova- as immovable ahead of me as I am at, at the very next red light. And I chuckle to myself. I hope he makes good use of those two seconds that he just saved. (laughs) But you know, there's so much impatience. Yesterday, I went to BJ's wholesale club in order to fill a propane tank. I'm in the auto shop there. And it seemed like the guy that was in line ahead of me, he seemed to talk to the guy that was behind the counter. He seemed to talk to him about everything but propane. (laughs) The nerve of that guy... I had to wait for two extra minutes because of his meaningless conversation. Then I remembered, hey, I'm part of tomorrow's message. I'm no different. Have you ever been in a supermarket jockeying for position? You're in this line, you look over here. Is that one going to move faster? Is this one moving faster? And all of a sudden you're out here and, oh, that one's so slow, the guy fell asleep at the register. And you look back over this way, yes, yeah, something's happening here. I'm impatient. i got to get out of here. 30 seconds has been lost, 30 valuable seconds of my life. Talk about frustration. And what's the frustration? What, Where does it come from? It comes from me. Life goes on, yet I'm impatient. That's our culture. Because sometimes we consider waiting to be wasteful, don't we? And our mindset is consumed with right now. You know, we just went through an important election. Look at our political system. Decisions are made with the very next election in mind. It's not necessarily about the long-term effects of policymaking. Who would have thought, ever thought that the life of an unborn would be a politi- political football to garner votes? Yet it's happening. Why? We're looking at the Now. Who would have thought that an ordained minister would take the side of abortion in order to be reelected to the Senate? Short-sighted. Eternity's long. I'm not saying there isn't forgiveness. Believe me. Any person can fall into a mistake like that or a choice like that. But thank God for His grace. But the point is, it's so short-sighted when, when God has so much lying ahead that He's preparing us for. One thing we need to understand is about God is He is never impatient. And He is never in a hurry. For Him, there are certain things in life that speed doesn't address. We can find examples of this in Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed by before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, He's long-suffering and abundant in goodness and in truth. Nehemiah 9, 17. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and forsook them not. You know, I am so thankful that God is slow to anger. I am so thankful for that. Today, there's so many angry people in the world with very, very short fuses. So what we see so often is a, a burst of anger that results in hurtful words. I'm guilty of that. We see bursts of anger that result in violence, injury, and even death. But in describing God, we find slow to anger, those very words used eight times in the Scriptures. How about you? How about me? Are we slow to anger? You don't have to answer. (laughs) Because if we're not, ask God to help you. Because it's an attribute of his that he wants you to have. Well, how do I know that's what he wants me to have? Well, look at this. Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to what? The image of his son. God wants you and I to be like his son Jesus, to have Jesus' attributes. And I am so thankful that God is slow to anger. But you know what else? I'm also very, very grateful that God is long-suffering or patient That's used 17 times in the Bible. In the New Testament, we as believers are called to be patient seven times. Interesting, seven, number of completion. Are you a patient person? Again, you don't have to answer. I can be very impatient. I'll give you my answer. But if if you're not, ask God to help you. Again, it's an attribute of his that he wants you to have. Let's face it, there's certain things in life that just take time, and I'm so grateful that God isn't in a rush. The things that just take time, things like this, think about it. Like godly character. Does that happen overnight? No, God's still working on me. How about Christ-likeness? How about a deep relationship with God. That doesn't happen overnight. It, it happens over time as we immerse ourselves in the love of Christ and in His Word. Or how about this one, understanding the Word of God? When you came to Christ, that all of a sudden, everything you understood everything in the Bible? No, we're still mining nuggets of gold out of the Scriptures as we grow. We're still learning. And when God works in our lives today and at this moment in time, and He does, He does two things, two things at the same time. First, he keeps every promise to us in whatever we're facing right now. Whatever you're going through, God's promises to you never, ever fail. And the second thing he does at the very same time, he's using today to build tomorrow. Not literally, of course. As I mentioned on Wednesday, if you were here, he is our potter. And we are his clay. So God works in our lives to establish character, Christ-likeness, because he knows we're going to need those things in the future. We have to understand this about God. Because if we don't, then something's going to happen. We're going to become frustrated with him. I know some of you that have had godly desires in your heart that haven't yet come to fruition. Don't become impatient because impatience causes frustration and that frustration causes us to move on ahead according to our timeline rather than God's timeline and then what do we have? We got troubles. God promised Abraham a son but 10 years after this promise, Abraham and Sarah still had no son and maybe they thought God forgot. Maybe he thought God didn't care. Well, they became restless. And what happened? Well, they moved ahead of God, and that's trouble. Genesis 16, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained from me bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. and Sarai, Abraham's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Then what happened? Well, Hagar bore Ishmael, who was known as the father of Islam. Trouble. If we fail to understand there is a preparation element of God's work in our, days, in our lives every day, then we're going to be looking at our circumstances through this lens, and that is the lens of here and now. We're going to fail to grasp that God is doing something wonderful to prepare us for the future. Years ago, I thought I'd be part of a family business for as long as I would work. Well, God had other plans. And I'm thankful for those other plans. Was it painful? Yes. Was it difficult? Of course it was. But you know what? I wouldn't be standing here right now sharing God's word with you if, if, if God hadn't done something in my life to intervene and say, no, that's not what I have for you. He's preparing me for something different, something according to what he would have me to do rather than what I may have wanted to do or my family expected of me. Well, I'm glad God changed their expectations. I think of uh, Joseph. God allowed his brothers to take him. In essence, they kidnapped him. They rejected him and sold him into Egypt as a slave. God gave Joseph a dream that he had to hold on to, that one day his brothers would bow before him. But it was painful for him. It hurt to be rejected and sent away. But you know what? Joseph knew that His suffering today would not negate his future. And that he would become, eventually we know this, the the second in command in all of Egypt. And here's what Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 says. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. But as for you, you thought evil against me. That was the here and now, right? But God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. God prepared him. God is preparing you. But sometimes we have a tendency, I would suspect, to ask God questions like this. God, why is this happening to me? Or say things like, God, this is making no sense to me. And questions like that, although understandable, They begin to produce frustration. Why? Because we can't see long term. We need the character that our circumstances produce in us. We can't see it. But God does and he sees clearly. And you know what? Everything makes perfect sense to him. God wants to make sure we possess the godly character that we'll require in order to handle whatever comes our way. And you see, when someone that wants to make a difference for God, someone that wants to be an influence for God to allow others to see Jesus in them and be attracted to him, it takes time, doesn't it? It takes maturity. It does not happen overnight. And whatever you went through when you first got saved is a character building block for who you are right now. And God is taking what you're going through right now as a character building block for what's going to be coming in the future. Don't despise the days of small things the scriptures tell us. Embrace what God has coming your way, the things that are part of your life right now, and acknowledge that it's his hand on your life Working together all things for the good because he loved, you love him and you're the call according to his purpose. And sometimes we don't see how these pieces fit together, do we? We don't. But then we can look back and say, now I got it. Now I get it. God, you are working something in me that would be of value to you somewhere in the future, whatever whenever that is. You know, Paul the Apostle, he said to the Roman church in chapter 8, verse 18 He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You can put your name in there. That's all of us. God prepares us for his purposes, he hasn't forgotten you, he's not wasting your time. And he's certainly not wasting his time. He's always working in your life today with today in mind, but also to prepare you for the future. And it would be a wonderful thing to say, oh, I get that. It's, it's easy. But, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy because it can be confusing to us because we don't understand. But, you know, what, family, that's where faith comes in, doesn't it? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We need to trust Him. So stay close to Him in the hard times, in the times where you don't understand, in the times that are a confusion to you. Stay close to Jesus. Follow Him. Hear His voice. Obey Him. And his Psalm 37, verse 5, says, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. God sent Paul out to the desert for three years, and then he sent him back to Tarsus for 10 silent years. Why? Preparation. God is constantly preparing us for what's coming. Don't despise the days of preparation. They're good. They're healthy. Embrace them by faith. You know, the greatest preparation that that takes place in a person's heart is the preparation to receive Christ into our heart as Lord. And I know God had a lot of preparation to do in me and I fought against him, I argued against him, I argued against others that, that stood for him and shared God's love with me. But you know, looking back, those were, those were what seemed to be challenges to me, but they weren't challenges to me. They were challenges for me that I could realize and understand that, that I need a savior. And those preparation steps that God did brought me to that place where one day I just cried out to, to the Lord and he saved me for such a time as this that's the greatest preparation that god does in our life our lives and maybe there's some here today that are uncertain of your future where where you're going to end up be it in heaven or be it in hell there's no in between but that uncertainty For me personally, that uncertainty drove me crazy. Kept me awake at night. But I didn't know what to do with it until someone brought me the truth. We need the truth. And the truth is this, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners just like me. To deliver us from the, the idea that we had that somehow if I come to God, I'm doing Him a big favor. That somehow I'm good enough. When all along the Bible says, no, your righteousness is as filthy rags. And I, family, I know that to be true in my life. I have none apart from Christ. But that's the point where God has to bring us to. That we would acknowledge that You know, I'm not who I thought I was. I'm not that big a deal. And I need a Savior because I'm a sinner. And I want to spend every day of my life following after Him and loving Him. And then out through all eternity, standing before His holy throne, praising Him for what He did for me. And in spite of me. We need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. Look at the condition of the world today. So many decisions that have been made that contradict God's word, that stand in His face squarely. Mankind has a tendency to point fingers at God and accuse Him. And He doesn't need to defend Himself. The Scriptures defend Him. Uh, They they speak of themselves. They, They stand strong all by themselves. The truth is that Jesus died for me. He died for every sinner and He's inviting every single person to come to Him just like you are. And I've heard people say, no, I'm not good enough. Hey, you know what? Welcome to the club. None of us are good enough. That's why we need a Savior. So if you'd like to to invite Jesus into your life and to know that you know that you know that you know that your salvation is secure in Him, then, then please, please pray with me that that he would reduce or eliminate any uncertainty that you might have in your life right now regarding your eternity. He wants you to know. And he wants to give you that brand new life right now. So please pray with me. And Father, I come to you today and I realize that you've been preparing me for this very moment in time the doubts that I had, the pain that I went through, all the things that have contributed to this moment, I see your hand. And I thank you that you are patient with me, that you're not angry with me, but that you love me with an everlasting love and you want to save me. So I come to you, and ask you, I ask you, Father, in the name of your Son, save me, to forgive me of all of my sin. And I believe that when you died on the cross, dear Jesus, you bled and died for me. You took my place. I'm eternally grateful. I do invite you right now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I invite you to be the Lord of my life, I want to live for you. I want to abide with you forever. And I praise you, God, that the tomb in which they buried your son Jesus is empty, showing me there is a new life awaiting me, a resurrected life. And I embrace that now. Help me to turn from my ways and to hold on to you with everything that I have. Please, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.